We have been in a short series on the book of Nehemiah, and we've entitled this series Building and Battling and Becoming, because the book of Nehemiah talks about building, talks a lot about battling, and it talks a lot about becoming what we need to be. And so tonight, or today, I want to talk about the subject of walls can be built. Walls can be built. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into chapter 3. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity now to once again look at your word. I pray, Father, you'd fill me with your spirit, and I pray, Lord, you'd help me to speak from this passage clearly. Lord, this is, this is a different passage than some we have looked at, and I pray today, Lord, that you would guide us. And I pray, Father, for clarity of thought on my part, that I could, uh, I could convey the thoughts you've laid on my heart. And I pray for clarity of heart on, our, on all of our parts as we listen. I pray, Father, you speak to us today. Uh, Lord, I don't know the needs of these your people, but I pray you'd meet them. Speak to us now, Father. This is not just any book. This is your book. This is not just any word. It's yours. It's not my message today. It's yours. And so I pray, Father, that you would apply it to the hearts of each person in this place. Starting with mine, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as, far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to Elijah, the men of Jericho built it. Next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Also the sons of Hassaneah built a fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Beana, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Hasaiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodeah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harai, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramah, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hathish, the son of Hashabniah, made repairs. As chapter 2 came to a close, we heard Nehemiah's rallying cry to the people to rise up and build. Do you remember that? God was with him and for them, he had said in chapter 2 and verse number 17. And we also saw their affirmative and enthusiastic reply uh, when they said, uh, yes. And uh, he said in verse number 18, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. And in our text today, we see just exactly what was meant there in that verse when he said they set their hands to this good work, because we see here they got down to the business of building the wall. Now we here at Friendship Bible Church believe in the inspiration of the Bible. We believe that every word of the Bible is inspired of God. We believe that based on verses like 2 Timothy 3.16, which we quote so often, that says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be perfect, 
complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We believe it based on things like what Jesus said in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, where he said, Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away one jot, or one tittle, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Or as another translation makes it maybe a little clearer, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. We believe that, don't we? Say amen if we believe that. All right, let's keep reading. Verse number 11. Now Kaijah, the son of Hiram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath, Boaz, repaired another section, as well as the tower of the ovens. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Now Kaijah, the son of Rahab, leader of the district of Beth-Happarim, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Shalom, the son of Kolhosa, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, and this is not the same Nehemiah as the one who is the author of the book. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of half the district of Beth-Zur, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David to the man-made pool, and as far as the house of the mighty. After him, the Levites. Under Rehom, the son of Bani, made repairs. Next to him, Hashabiah, leader of half the district of Keilah, made repairs for his district. After him, their brethren. Under Babiai, the son of Hanadad, leader of the other half of the district of Keilah, made repairs. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent to the armory of the buttress. After him, Barak, the son of Zebai, carefully repaired carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the floor of the house of Elijah the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Koz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Elijah to the end of the house of Elijah. Remember what we said? Not one shot, not one tittle, not one iota, not one dot. It's all inspired of God. You believe that? Say amen. Admittedly, some passages are a little bit more difficult than others. Admittedly, some passages might seem downright tedious at times. And our text today could possibly be considered one such passage. For some reason, I had grave difficulty getting anyone willing to read the scripture this morning. I'm not sure why that is, but I couldn't seem to get anybody willing to do it. Uh, I don't know. But if we boil it all down and look at what took place here, it can be summed up in one sentence. The people did what they said they would do. In chapter 2, in verse number 18, they said, let us rise up and build. And in chapter 3, that's exactly what they're doing. We see the building is actually beginning. They set their hands to this good work. And when we come to the end of chapter 3, and we're almost there, when we come to the end of chapter 3, we'll see that the wall is not completed, but it has a good start. And the work has begun, and it's well underway. We will see all kinds of people with all kinds of skill sets, all kinds of gifts, all kinds of history come together in one common cause, the rebuilding of the wall. One last passage, and we'll be to the end. Verse number 22. After him, the priests, the men of the plague, made repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hashem made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. After him, Binuiah, the son of Hanadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. 
and I, the son of Uzzah, made repairs opposite the buttress. And on the tower which projects from the king's upper house, that was by the court of the prison, after him, Bediah, the son of Perish, made repairs. Moreover, the Nephanim, who dwelt in Awful, made repairs, as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section, next to the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Othel. Beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. And after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zelah, prepared another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. After him, Malpajah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the Nephilim and of the merchants in front of the Mithcat gate, and as far as the upper room at the corner. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gates, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Now, I'm certain that there are many lessons that can be learned from this particular chapter, but I want to concentrate on one simple thought this morning. What happened here was the walls did begin to rebuild, be rebuilt. And so the thought that I think comes most out of this to me is this. Walls can be built. Walls can be built. Imagine the situation. These people had lived in this rubble for years. They lived with the fact that the walls were down. They had not even thought about it. They, They've never apparently considered really tackling it. And now here they are beginning. They're picking up rocks. They're placing them back where they're supposed to be. They're laying bricks and mortar and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, they're beginning to see it doesn't have to remain the way that it was. Walls can be built. It had been destroyed. It had been for years. It had been lying in rubble for years. The gates had been burned for years. But now they see the reality. It doesn't have to remain. Walls can be and so I want to share with you this morning just two thoughts. You may think I'm crazy as I try to get thoughts out of this long list of names, but uh, two thoughts that jump out at me from this passage of Scripture that I want to share with you. If, if you're taking notes this morning, here's the two points. Number one, walls can be built where there's leadership. And number two, walls can be built where there's teamwork. Two thoughts. First of all, walls can be built where there is leadership. Notice verse number one, Elijah, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. I find it interesting that the very first person that is mentioned in this list is the high priest. It is interesting to me because all throughout the book of Nehemiah, leadership is a key uh, theme everywhere. Of course, Nehemiah is, the, is the, the perennial leader that we see throughout. But here we see another example, Eliashib, the high priest. The very first one that is mentioned, the very first one to take the lead in building the wall was the high priest. And, of course, I've, I've quoted this to you, and we'll continue to quote this throughout this series because it's so applicable. It's been said that everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think it's true here. There's all kinds of implications to that thinking, to this whole concept of leadership. There are implications to our church. We, in, our, in Friendship Bible Church, believe in team leadership. We believe in elder leadership. We believe the Bible, the New Testament, describes a model where a team of elders... Men whom God has called and gifted for the role work together to administer the local church under the leadership of the pastor. We've had one round here of what we call the eldership exploration. As uh, those of you who are visiting here may not know that we've gone through some, some pretty uh, intense changes in the last couple of years in this church. And the whole structure of the church has kind of changed. And we're, we're working through this matter of elder leadership. And we've had one round of what we call our eldership exploration. And, Three men participated in that. 
And I'll take just a minute this morning. It's really not part of the message, but I just want to take a minute to clarify what that means because recently I've been made aware of some confusion surrounding that. And we don't want people to be confused. Uh, this eldership exploration was participated in by three men. And, and those three men, here's what they were doing. Here was the purpose of that exercise, to explore. That's why I called uh, eldership exploration, to explore what the Bible teaches about eldership. It was not a course of study whereby at the end of it, they graduate and become elders. That was not the purpose of that. It was meant for to give them an opportunity and me an opportunity to work together and explore what the Bible taught about that. Those three men were and are prayerfully considering the implications to their lives, whether or not God is calling them to that role. But they are not, automatically, as they came out of that now. Uh, they may not ever choose to do that. They may not ever feel like that's what the Lord wants them to do. This fall, hopefully, we're going to start another round of the eldership exploration, and I'm hoping that some other guys will also step up and say they'd like to explore. And I don't want them to feel like if they come out of that, or if, they, if they're willing to sit down through that thing and go through that, that uh, they're automatically going to be pressed into service as an elder at the end. I don't feel that way. So I just want to clarify that. I, I don't want the church to put pressure on people who, men who do want to go through that. I want them to be able to go through that and not feel like when they come out, the church is looking at them and saying, thou art now an elder, and expecting them to be at some level that they don't want to be or don't feel comfortable being. And I don't want any other men to feel like if they want to just participate and just explore and just see what it means, that there will be any expectation on them at the end. So, just wanted to clarify that a little bit. It's important. And we're working through these things and we're studying these things and we're praying about these things. Because leadership is important. It's an important concept in the church. Walls can be built in churches when there is leadership. That's what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 3. And that's why we spend so much time. There are implications to these things to our church. There are implications to these things to our families. Today is Father's Day. It's a good reminder to the dads here, dads, that we are God's appointed leader in the home. And we need to take the lead. I know it's not a politically correct passage of Scripture, but last I checked, it's still in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, does say, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. As also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. A few verses later, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Those verses tell me this, the dad's the leader. The dad's the leader. And needs to take the leadership position and role in the home. You need to live in that role. That doesn't mean, Dad, you lord it over your wives. It doesn't mean, Dad, that you rule like some despot or some potentate. It means that you lead just like Christ leads. And, buddy, that's a hard, hard thing. But there are implications to us, are there not? Walls can be built in families where there is such God-ordained leadership from the dad. I think there are implications here to all of us as an individual. You know, my Bible tells me God has called and gifted spiritual leaders and put them in our life. The Bible says again in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians seems to have a lot to say about this kind of stuff. Ephesians chapter 4. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That means complete. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you whose faith follow. We need to follow the leaders 
God has placed in our life. I believe walls can be built in our individual Christian lives when we follow the leadership of God. So there's all kinds of implications here around this matter of leadership. I think it's fascinating that Eliashib, the high priest, was the first one. The spiritual leader was the one who first rose up and picked up the first brick and first laid it. I can imagine a lot of people looked at him and said, yeah, he ought to be good at that. But nonetheless, he picked up that brick and he laid the first one. Much can be said about leadership from this passage. But I think there's an even greater lesson, an even greater implication. It is true, walls can be built where there is leadership. But I think the greater lesson from this is walls can be built where there is teamwork. Walls can be built where there is teamwork. You know, no pastor can build a church alone, at least not very effectively. No father can very easily uh, raise a family alone. No Christian can easily build a Christian life alone, although something they can, but they can't. It can be done by determination and hard work. You can accomplish great things, but it's, it's not the right way. It's not the easy way. It's not the Lord's way that we can do it. It's pretty amazing what people can accomplish if they set their mind to it. I just saw a video, I think just yesterday, I was watching an ABC News video, and perhaps some of you saw this, of a, of a young teenage boy who was born perfectly fine, and then he got cancer in his eyes, and they had to take both of his eyes out. And this boy has taught himself to see with his ears. Did anybody see this? It was on an ABC News video. He walks along and he clicks like a bat or like a dolphin. And it's, you, you've got to see it to believe it. He sees with his ears. He's walking along and an obstacle will be in the way and he just goes right around it like it's not even there. He plays video games. I can't fathom how anybody could do that. Blind. He has no eyes. But the point is, this is just an example of how when an individual puts their mind to it, they can accomplish amazing things. One person can do great things. The Apostle Paul, my Bible tells me, reached the known world with the gospel in just a few years. Amazing. Henry Varley was a very intimate friend of Dr. Dwight Moody in the early days of his work. And Varley used to love to tell how he once said to Dr. Moody, It remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up wholly unto him. Dr. Moody looked at him and said, well, I will be that man. And history has shown that he very well may have been many, many, many thousands, maybe millions are in heaven today because of the ministry of Dwight Moody. The fact is one person can do great things. But you see, Nehemiah was not just a one-man show here. Eliashib was not just a one-man show here. They didn't try to do it on their own. They had an amazing team around them. And my suggestion to you today is walls can be built when there's teamwork. When there's teamwork. Consider the team. Consider the team that we just read about. I read the whole chapter because I wanted you to see it all. Consider the team that was here. This team consisted of people from all vocations. Did you notice that there were priests on this team? Did you notice that there were slaves on this team? You might not have seen that one. That's in verse number 7 where it talks about the Gibeonites. You remember the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites, you have to read about them in Joshua chapter 9 on your own. The Gibeonites, when the children of Israel were taking over uh, the land of Canaan and wiping out people right and left, the Gibeonites knew they were in serious trouble. And so they, they, they tricked Joshua. <laughs> they snuck up on Joshua. They're the ones who made themselves, they dressed themselves up in old clothes and, and, and wore out shoes and they took old moldy bread and they said, look, we've come from a long, 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 long life. They lived just right over here, but they came from a long, long, long way away and, uh, and, and we, we want to make a leap with you. We want to make an alliance with you, Joshua. And Joshua, who didn't pray about it or anything, was tricked and made this alliance with them. Once he found out what the situation was, they really were people that he was supposed to be taking out, wiping out, 
No, he couldn't, because he'd made his alliance. He uh, put them to tribute, and the fact is the Gibeonites from that point on served the children of Israel as slaves in his service. And so verse number 7, there were slaves. There were goldsmiths, verses 31 and 32. There were perfumers, verse number 8. There were politicians, and all throughout here we read about people who were uh, leaders of a certain section or a certain uh, you know, government entity. Politicians. There were Levites, verse number 17. Now, Levites were the people who were involved with the, with the care and keeping of the temple. That could have meant singers. It could have meant praise teams. That could have meant piano players. That could have meant people who uh, kept the, the gates and the doors. It could have meant people who washed the dishes and the pots and pans around the, uh, the, the, the altar and things like that. It could have meant all those kinds of people. Levites. Verses 31 and 32 says there were merchants. All kinds of people. All kinds of vocations. Some of them might actually have been pretty good at building walls. Others, I'm not so sure about. Now, we have a perfumer in our midst. Everybody knows we have a perfumer in our midst. How are you at laying bricks? What? Are you any good at it? Actually, I believe he probably would be good at it, because I think anything Paul tries to do, he's able to do. But the fact is, we look at some of these people, goldsmith, perfumer, some of them, and we think, how in the world would they have been any good? And yet, they were on the team. All people, people from all vocations. And I would suggest walls can be built when such teamwork exists. It consisted of people from different neighborhoods. There were people from Jericho in verse 2, and people from Gibeon in verse 7. There were Tekoites in verse 5, and Zenoites in verse number 13. So there were different vocations. There were different locations. I think it consisted of families working together. All throughout here we see the word son, and I can't be particular and berserk about this, but I think fathers and sons were working together. And of course that works real well for Father's Day today, so I'll slip it in there anyway. Fathers and sons working together. We do see a verse that specifically says fathers and daughters were working together. Verse number 12. So families working together. It consisted of people with all levels of commitment. Some of them worked hard, did more than their share of the work. Look at verse number 13. Verse number 13, Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. They, they did their share. They did their share. Some people worked hard. And I love this guy, Merimoth. Did you notice him? Merimoth. Look at verse number 4. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Kaz, made repairs. And then jump down to verse number 21. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Kaz, repaired another section. I like that guy. One section was not enough for him. He did double work. And so some worked hard. Some did more than their share of their work. Some weren't willing to stop when the job was done. They took on a second share. Some, like the Tekoites in verse number 5, shirked. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Some didn't pull their weight. Some took the work very seriously. Verse number 20 tells me, after him, Barak, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other section. As I read that uh, this week and prepared for this, my, my mind kept coming to that word. Why did the Holy Spirit put the word carefully in there? Just for this one thing. Remember, every word. Every word's important. Carefully. And I think it's to try to tell us that he took the word very, very seriously. Some like the Tekoites apparently did not. Some worked very close to home, concentrating on their own neighborhoods. Did you notice how many times you said they built next to their own house? Some people were homebodies in that way. Some had a missionary heart. The guys who went a thousand cubits down the wall, they were far more willing to range a little further in their efforts. And so people with all levels of commitment, people from all different areas, people from all different vocations, by a team. 
I think it's one of the greatest examples of people coming together for a common cause you're going to find in the Bible anywhere. And walls can be built when such teams come together. Well, I want to make a couple of applications. Because I believe there are applications from this that apply to us today. I think that there are applications for our church, for Friendship Bible Church. We talk a lot about spiritual gifts in this place, and I think that here's a place where we could talk about it yet again. You see, the Bible teaches me that those who have been gifted need to be using those gifts because we need the whole team if we're ever going to accomplish what God wants us to do in this place. Paul said to the Corinthians, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. What he was saying there is you have a spiritual gift if you're a believer. That's what he was saying. So I don't see that there. What's that mean, the manifestation of the Spirit? Well, let me read it in another translation. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Is that clear? You, if you're a believer, have a spiritual gift. And he gave it to you so that you could help the rest of the church. So that you could help the local church. Those who have been gifted need to be using their gifts. Now, the other thing we see here, though, is that willingness to serve, even when not gifted, is every bit as important. We've talked about this. Sometimes I think what people say is, wait a minute now, okay, we believe in spiritual gifts, therefore I don't have this particular gift, so I just won't do that. I won't serve there. There's this tremendous need over here. We need this. Nobody's stepping up. But, well, that's not my gift, preacher. I, I won't go there. And yet what we see here is that willingness to serve, even when not gifted, is important. Do not ask yourself, perfumers, come on, what were they doing to build the walls? They don't they weren't gifted in that. Goldsmiths? That's a jeweler. He flew a loop in his eyes. What were they doing building the walls? And how many of you, be honest with yourselves, how many of you, when you heard that the first one who picked up the brick, the brick and started it off was the preacher, how many of you said, yeah? That's going to work real well. I'm sure he's great at that. How many of you thought that? Be honest. Because the fact is, these do not sound like people who were particularly gifted in the area of building walls. But the wall needed to be built. Somebody needed to do it. And so they jumped up. And they did it. You know, if people would exercise their gifts, if every believer would exercise their gifts in the local church, the church would be one well-oiled machine, would it not? I believe God knows what he's doing. And I believe God has put in this place and in these walls every single gift that is needed. Be one well the machine. There would be nothing. But the fact is, way too many people are willing and content to bury their talents in the ground and so others not so gifted must step up. And you know, here's the amazing thing that I get out of chapter 3. God uses that. God uses people who are willing, even though they might not be the best. You know, if you went down through there, I'm sure there were some people on that wall who actually were masons. And I'm sure if you walked along that wall, you could tell where they'd been. I'm sure you could tell that that was the wall that was laid right. And then you come to the perfumers and the goldsmiths, and maybe the high priest, and then we more than all walked out of there, and all kinds of rocks all messed up. But the wall was built. It might not be as perfect as it should be, but it was going up. God blessed and still used them, and the wall was still Built. Walls can be built by such. So there's an application for the church. There's an application for individuals as well. And just as it's difficult for a preacher to build a church alone, I would suggest to you this morning, and just I'll be quick on this one, I would suggest that it's also difficult for you to build your Christian life alone. You know, we need each other. You need your brothers, and you need your sisters. You need your church. You need those who are older in the faith than you who have already navigated the problems that you're going to face as a believer. 
You need teachers whom God has gifted and placed in your life. You need fellowship. You need study groups. You need sermons. You need songs. We need each other. It's a team effort. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's no such thing in the Bible as a solitary Christian. It doesn't exist. You might think so, but you can't. It's not there. Christians in the Bible love one another. They helped one another. They prayed for one another. They spent time with one another. They held one another accountable. They lived in the one and us. It was a team effort. You need the team. You need the church, which God has given you for this purpose. I need it. I could not function a minute in my Christian life without you. And none of us are any different. None of us. The walls of my Christian life are built by the team. So too are yours. One last application, and I'm done. There's applications here for families. Specifically for fathers. We played a goofy video today at Open Our Service. Some of you have probably not heard a word since. Because you're sitting there fuming in your seat that I played a rap video in church. I suppose it's possible. I'm not a fan of rap either. And believe it has very little value in the church, but that was just a humorous thing. And it was meant to amuse and entertain the dads among us. Let's, let's not take it too seriously. However, if we were to dissect that video for just a minute, I want you to remember that video. If we were to dissect it just for a minute, and take it seriously, something for which it was not intended, but nonetheless, if we were to do that, wouldn't we have to say that it was missing something? Wouldn't we have to say that there was a key component that was absolutely non-existent in that video. Where was God? Where was Dad's role as spiritual leader demonstrated, even for a minute? Where was it? Where did we see Dad building the spiritual walls of his family? Where did we see any of that? Was it there? Let me speak just for a minute to the dads. You know, man, God does not give a rip about your 50-inch Vizio. Not a rip. He doesn't care about your 60-inch cut. He doesn't care about your 1080p or your man cave. And you may think that your skill as Lord of the barbecue is something of eternal value, but it is not. It is not. All of those things are good and fun and add to the joy of life that God wants for us. I don't mean to disparage them in the slightest. There's a verse that's been in my mind lately, and it was in our Sunday school class again this morning. It's like, the Lord just keeps telling me about this one verse. It's, uh, it's uh, in, I think it's 2 uh, Timothy. It talks about the fact that He has given us all things richly to enjoy. And I just can't get over that, how God has given us so many good things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy our lives. And so praise God for the fun. Praise God for the good things. Praise God for the enjoyable things of this life. But don't be confused. That is not the dad's life that is important. That is not the one that matters. I just mowed my lawn this weekend. I used my 62-inch cut, John Deere. And if I was Tim Allen right now, I'd put a little grunt in right there, but I can't imitate him, so I won't do that. But as I did, the Lord spoke to my heart, just as he always does, as I'm mowing my lawn, and I'm looking at the property that he's entrusted me with to maintain. I look at that and think, you know, it's all going to be gone. I'm sitting here wasting all this time mowing this thing. It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. You ever read 2 Peter? 2 Peter says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up 
Oh, if you are getting that or not, that includes my backyard. That includes my house. That includes my 62-inch cut John Deere. That includes my man cave, although I don't really have a man cave. Includes all that. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Oh, Dad, we need to love our lives. We need to enjoy the blessings of God and the good things he's placed in our lives. But we must never forget our most important task. The only one that has eternal consequences. That is to lead our family. To lead your family. To know and love God. That's the only thing. That's the dad life. The only one that matters. And the fact is you can't do it alone. Man, you can't. You need a team. You need Sunday school teachers. You need camp counselors. You need... PBS workers, you need men's Bible studies and prayer breakfasts, you need golf outings with Christian men who share your responsibilities and understand the difficulty of the task you need to do. You need the church, your brothers and sisters whom God has placed in your life to help you build the walls of your life and of your family. The fact is, Nehemiah chapter 3 describes the project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and it tells us that it was indeed underway. We're going to see more. We're going to see that there's a lot yet to be done. Many lessons yet to be learned. Many battles yet to be fought. But the walls were going up. They were being built. And they were being built because of leadership. And they were being built because of teamwork. Friends, church, dads, let us rise up and build.